The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, Baltimore City Schools have been underperforming for years, graduating children who are functionally illiterate, unable to pass state exams, or qualify to go to college. The system has failed them. Remarkably, The Baltimore City Schools annual budget is $1.4 billion a year. They're the fifth best funded city school budget in the United States. With what seems like the proper amount of funding, why are so many children consistently failing in their system? In 2017, Sinclair's local TV affiliate in Baltimore, Fox 45, formed Project Baltimore, an I-team investigation into why Baltimore City Schools were not doing better. What they found was astonishing. First, the administration of Baltimore City Schools would not honor Freedom of Information Act requests that Fox 45 had filed. They simply refused to be transparent with their data. So Fox 45 took them to court in December 2017. Here to tell the story of his reporting and what he's uncovered in four years of working on this investigation, I am really pleased to welcome my guest, Chris Pabst, Sinclair's Fox 45 Project Baltimore lead investigative reporter. Chris, thank you for taking the time to educate the rest of us about 
what's happening in Baltimore is really a test case for the whole country. How long have you been looking into the Baltimore City Schools? Well, Mr. Speaker, thank you for having me on and thank you for taking interest in Project Baltimore and Fox 45 and what we're doing. We launched in about March of 2017. And the reason that we decided to create this investigative unit to look at education in Maryland and Baltimore City is because for years, decades, generations, Baltimore City Schools has been one of the worst performing school systems in America when looking at the largest school systems in the country, these city school systems. And there's always been this... We know what's going on in Baltimore City. We know that they're graduating kids who can't read. We know what the proficiency rates are for the kids in the school. We know where money's being spent. But these were kind of all, I don't want to say rumors, but things that people couldn't prove because there wasn't anybody really looking into it. So we formed our I-Team unit to dig into the numbers, to dig into the data, and to see you know, what exactly is happening in this school system, how the money is being spent, and how the students are underperforming, and try to come up with some solutions as to what could create a better school system in Baltimore, because Baltimore is, as the headlines you've seen over the past, you know, six, seven, ten years, you know, this is one of the, if not the most dangerous and violent cities in America, in terms of shootings, in terms of murders. And most everyone that we speak to in the city connects the school system and the lack of education the students are getting with the crime rate. I first got involved years ago, looking at this, because some of the numbers are so breathtaking that it's almost impossible. And when you started analyzing the 2017 state testing data, you found that one-third of the high schools in Baltimore City had zero students proficient in math. Zero. How is that possible? Well, we looked at that data in 2017, and there's a few things that we found. We did find that 13 of the 39 high schools in Baltimore City had zero students proficient in math. We also found that there were six schools in the entire city, six schools that did not have one student proficient in anything zero proficiency throughout that entire school. And there were six of them. Five of them were high schools and one of them were middle schools. So your question is, how does this happen? Well, you had mentioned that we had taken Baltimore City schools to court. And the reason we took them to court was because we had been informed by many people who work in the city, teachers, principals, parents, that the school system was changing grades. And they're changing grades from failing to passing to get these kids through the school system without getting the education that they need. And I think that what we're talking about right now with these 13 high schools with zero kids proficient in math, six schools with zero kids proficient in anything, I think that is how that happens. It happens because we know through the lawsuit and through winning this lawsuit and the documents that city schools had to deliver to us, that they were changing grades on a mass scale throughout the entire school system. In many of the schools, if not all of the schools, they were changing grades, taking failing grades of 58s and 59s and rounding them up to 60s and 61s to get the kids passed to get them to the next grade. 
that is what happened. We know that happened because we won the lawsuit and we got the documents. So that's your answer. Grade changing, pushing the kids through. They're not getting the education that they need. And also keep in mind here that so there were 13 high schools with zero kids proficient in math. If I remember correctly, in that story we did in 2017, I think there was another 10 with 1 or 2% proficient. And with six schools with zero kids proficient in anything, I mean, there were another you know dozen or two dozen with 1 or 2%. 1 or 2% proficiency, meaning 1 or 2 or 3 kids proficient in those schools. Unfortunately, there's many schools in Baltimore City that are like this. And is it just an organized system of fraud? You mentioned early on there's $1.4 billion that is put into Baltimore City schools every year. And there is this mentality where they are saying that it's not enough money and they want more money. And the legislature of Maryland, usually, and this year is no exception, the legislature passed a funding increase for the school systems in Maryland, specifically Baltimore City. So there's more money that's going to be going into there, but these numbers don't really seem to be changing that much over the years. So over the past five years, the graduation rates are lower in Baltimore City. SAT scores are lower. College enrollment rates are lower, but more money keeps getting put into the school system. So we have in Maryland, the school system is largely funded in Baltimore City by state taxpayers, about 75% funded by state taxpayers. And more money, Mr. Speaker, just keeps going into the school system. But there doesn't seem to be much of a return on that investment when you look at the success of students that are coming out of that school system. So... To look at it from an odd angle, this means that in all these schools, neither the football team nor the basketball team could keep score. We have interviewed teachers who have said they have handed diplomas to graduates who cannot read the diploma. And I remember when we were first told that by a teacher, it was stunning. Now we've been told that by a number of teachers, and it seems to be that it's not just happening to one or two students in Baltimore City, and it's been happening for quite some time. We interviewed a 60-year-old man who cannot read, went to Baltimore City schools. We interviewed a woman who's 40 years old, cannot read, went to Baltimore City schools. It's really eye-opening for us to be doing these types of stories. It's also heartbreaking to be doing these types of stories, but we're hoping by shining a light on it and letting people know this is the reality in Baltimore City where 40 and 60 year old people cannot read that went to the school system and where teachers are saying that kids are graduating with diplomas that they cannot even read. You trace this back to what we just talked about, about the proficiency of some of these schools. This is not one or two people. This is hundreds and thousands of people that are going to the school systems in Baltimore City. Do you have any notion of how many of the teachers can't read? Teaching certificates that have to be acquired in Baltimore City through the state of Maryland regulation, they're pretty strict. I think that the teachers are trying to do the best that they can. There are limitations that the teachers have, one of them being that Baltimore is a school system that has what is known as a one-fail policy, 
And what that means is from kindergarten to ninth grade in Baltimore City, a student can only fail a grade one time. No matter how little they learn, no matter how many absences they have, the student can only fail once. And the reason that the school system, they're telling us that they put that in there is because students learn better with their age level peers. But the teachers that we speak with are telling us that that policy is one of the major obstacles in Baltimore City to students learning because that is why they're being pushed through the system without getting the education they need. Because there's this one fail policy where you cannot hold them back. And oftentimes in second or third or fourth grade, the schools don't want to use the one fail because then you can't use it in seventh or eighth grade. So what this really has become is a no fail policy in many instances and the kids just keep getting pushed on. And what teachers tell me is that if you hold a kid back in a grade so that kid can better learn that grade and be prepared for the next grade, that's going to set them up for success in the future. But this policy that Baltimore City has, if the kid is not proficient in reading in third grade and you take that student and put him in fourth grade, he's not going to be proficient in fourth grade. He's going to fall farther behind and then farther behind in fifth grade and sixth grade and seventh grade. So how does somebody get to 12th grade, but they're reading on a first or second grade level, which is a story that we did a couple weeks ago. That is a real thing in Baltimore City, 11th and 12th graders reading at first and second grade levels. Well, that's how it happens. And if that policy weren't there, the school system says that you would have older kids in elementary school. But that's not what the teachers tell us. The teachers tell us that just hold the kid back one year, get that kid caught up, get them to where they need to be, and then send them on to the next grade, and it'll set them up more for success in the future. But that's not what Baltimore City has in terms of policies. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the schools you looked at, Augusta Fells, has a $3.8 million budget with 436 students. And they have students with a point one three, a great point average, point one three. I mean, in fact, they have a student who had a point one three, great point average, and he ranked sixty two out of one hundred and twenty. That means that fifty eight of his classmates have a zero point one three great point average or lower. Now. It's almost impossible to achieve this. But they get $3.8 million for 436 students who end up with a 0.13 grade point average. Why is that not fraud? Well, that is currently being looked into. So we broke this story back in March, and it's being investigated by state and local investigators now. Now, I understand what your question with the fraud of the lack of education that these kids are getting with the amount of money that taxpayers are putting in. But that particular school, when we did the story about the student with the 0.13 GPA, who was ranked 62nd out of 120, that ended up spawning a lot of other stories because how does that even happen? Well, what we learned was that particular school there is a strong reason to believe, and I think that our reporting has proved this, and this will come out in the investigations in the future, is that this school had ghost students. And what that is, is a student who is kept on the rolls of the school to increase the funding of that school, even though the student's not going to that school. 
So a lot of those 58 kids that were behind the one with the 0.13, potentially these were ghost students that hadn't been going to that school for years, but yet they were kept on the rolls of that school to increase the funding. And Mr. Speaker, we spoke with one student from that school that we found who was in jail while enrolled in this school. So this is one ghost student of many that were at this school that we believe. We tracked him down. He had gotten out of jail and we interviewed him and we showed him his transcripts and we said to him, this is you, right? And he's like, yes. It says that you were taking these classes in the fall of 2019. He's like, man, I was in jail in the fall of 2019. So that's what's going on in that particular school. So there's a bunch of agencies that are looking into it and we should hopefully some results on that soon, what was happening there. Because I would think whoever filled out that transcript explicitly committed fraud. Correct. And this is on the federal level because this was a Title I school that received a lot of federal funding and also on the state level because most of the money going to that school came from state taxpayers on a local level in the city because a lot of the money going into that school also came from city taxpayers. So this would be city, state, and federal fraud for this particular situation in that particular student. But we had the names of at least 21 students at that school. Some had not actually gone to that school in two years, but they were still on the rolls and taxpayers from federal, state, and city were still giving the school system money to educate that student who was not there. Years ago in Indianapolis, they had a system where they counted the students twice a year. And those two days were called pizza days. And so they gave away free pizza so that everybody who wasn't there the rest of the year would show up. And they'd get a 20 or 30% increase in attendance for two days a year. And it was the same ghost student kind of problem. Now, all of this accumulated so that in the first three quarters of the last school year, 41% of all Baltimore City high school students earned less than a 1.0 grade point average. So half of the 20,500 public high school students in Baltimore City earned less than a D. Why has the community not exploded? There's a protest that's happening in early August for the school CEO to resign. There's a lot of pent-up frustration when Project Baltimore first did the story that you're talking about, we acquired the student performance data from this year, and we found that 41% of high school students had below a one GPA. That's, that's below a D average, almost half of the high school students in the city. Now, before the pandemic, it was 24%. So before the pandemic, it was a quarter of all the high school students. Now it's 41%. So there is a lot of frustration. And just keep in mind of the other parts of the interview that we've already discussed about the 13 high schools, or the six schools with no kids proficient. You have this other school with a 0.13 GPA, 62nd out of 120. Now you got 41% of the kids in the high schools you know, with below a 1 GPA. These are dire numbers and it's very alarming. And the elected leadership in Baltimore City, at least with Project Baltimore, they won't even sit down for an interview with us to discuss these numbers. It doesn't seem like anybody wants to discuss these numbers, except the people in the community. 
And there is a lot of frustration. It's building. This has been happening for years and decades and generations even. But now we actually have the numbers that Fox 45 has been digging up. And we're putting these out there and showing people this is the state of our public schools right now. This is where we are. The city's trying to deal with the violence, trying to deal with the economy that is stagnant, trying to deal with population flight. And a lot of people feel that it all goes back to the school system. It all goes back to education. It goes back to the numbers that we're talking about. The frustration's building. It's there. Is there going to be change? And what type of change is there going to be? The people of Baltimore are going to have to figure that out. Well, you know, you've got the standpoint of the taxpayer and citizens around the country. The city schools receive $15,973 per student every year. So the guy who stayed on the rolls two years after he dropped out, the school received $31,946 to educate this one student who says he wasn't there. Correct. And yet what we get out of Washington is send them more money. Well, that's what we get in Maryland, too. So this past legislative session, Maryland passed a massive spending increase for education. And the idea is that if you put more money into it, the situation will get better. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maryland did the same thing in 2001. That was called the Thornton Plan. The most recent one was called the Kerwin Plan, the Kerwin Commission. And in 2001, they did the same thing. They drastically increased the amount of spending that Maryland was putting into the public school system. So when they were debating this most recent spending increase, we went back and we looked at what happened in 2001, and we can see that Maryland spent a significant amount more on public education than the rest of the country when you're looking at the averages because of the spending increases in 2001. But everything remained about the same. The graduation rate compared to the national average remained about the same. The National Association of Education Progress, NAEP, which does comparisons state to state, so it's a federal program, we can see that Maryland stayed just about the same as where they were. So 20 years ago, Maryland decided that they were going to put a lot more money in the public education, and compared to the national averages, nothing really changed. This past legislative session in 2021, Maryland again, voted to have a massive spending increase of $4 billion in 10 years for public education, which comes out to about $32 billion in those 10 years because it's a step up to the $4 billion. So we'll see if that works. This has largely been the solution in Maryland, that when you have underperforming schools, you give them more money and hope for the best. When Ehrlich was governor, didn't he try to institute some reforms and wasn't there a big backlash? Well, there's been a number of times where people have floated a state takeover of Baltimore City public schools. Even like the charter school law in Baltimore City, there's very few charter schools in Baltimore City. And even when that was written, the unions got into the charter schools. And charter schools in Baltimore and Maryland in general are unionized, where in many states they're not. The teachers union in Maryland is very strong, very influential. The Democrats have veto-proof majorities in the House and the Senate. So Maryland does have a Republican governor, but the governor is up against veto-proof majorities in both chambers of the legislature. I'll give you an example. We talked about the Kerwin Commission, about the spending increase for this year for education. 
the governor vetoed it, but the legislature overrode his veto and it passed into law. So in Maryland, it is largely a one-party rule state. And with the veto-proof majorities that the Democrats have in the House and the Senate, they run the show. One of their largest campaign contributors are the teachers' unions. So there's not a lot of substantial change that you see in the education system as a whole and how it operates, except for the amount of money that is being put into it. What's the teachers' union's explanation for the kind of outcome they're getting? They won't talk to us. <laughs> okay. Over the past year and a half, the teachers' unions have been very vocal about students not returning to the classroom. And, and if we're going to talk about the, the 41%, we'll go back to that, high school students with below a, a D, GPA. They were very vocal in not sending the kids back into the classroom. Well, now that we have this performance data, we've been reaching out to the Maryland State Education Association, which is the main teachers' union in the state, and the Baltimore Teachers' Union in Baltimore City. They don't have anything to say. They don't want to do an interview with us. They're not giving us statements. They're just not saying anything. So it seems that when there's something that favors them or something that they want, they're out talking about it. But now that we see the result of those decisions, when it comes to student-based outcomes, now all of a sudden they don't want to talk about it. So I wish, Mr. Speaker, that I could answer your question as to what they say. They won't not just do an interview. They won't even give us a statement. I mean, they're just quiet on this matter and not saying a thing, which is unfortunate for the taxpayers of Maryland that are funding all of this. But more so, it's unfortunate for the students. And how are these students going to catch up? How are they going to come out of this hole? That same data, we found that 57% of elementary and middle school students are failing at least one course. Teachers unions won't talk about that either. Out of the whole high school student body, what percent actually do well enough to go to college? That's a tough question because it all depends on how you analyze the data. As far as how many students are going to college, right now there's a 69% graduation rate in Baltimore City. So in four years, 69% of the students are graduating. And now the college enrollment rate is down to about 50%. So that would be 50% of the 69%. So I think you're probably looking at the number of kids that get accepted in the college would be somewhere around 30 to 35%. But that college would be all the colleges. And in Maryland, community colleges, you don't even need a high school diploma and you can go to community college. They don't require it. It's a hard question to answer. It depends on how you look at the data. And it's also significant to point out that in Maryland, you don't need a high school diploma to attend many of the community colleges. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You have very high turnover in the schools in terms of teachers. And you have very high administrative costs in terms of principals, assistant principals, et cetera. The kids really are sort of left behind, aren't they? I mean, they're the excuse for getting the check, but they're not the focus of the system. There's a lot of talk about that in Baltimore City of what is the focus of the system. Is the focus of the system the money? Is the focus of the system the adults? Or is the focus of the system kids? And and the answer to that all depends on who you're going to talk to. And I think that if you just look at the raw data, 
And everything that we have spoken about in this interview, we talked about the 13 high schools, the 16 schools, the 0.13 GPA. We talked about the 57% of elementary and middle school students failing one grade, the 41% of high school students with below one GPA. I think that a lot of people would say that if you look at those outcomes, it's kind of hard to make an argument that the priority of the school system is to educate the kids because you've got a majority of the kids right now in elementary and middle school are failing at least one course or more, meaning a minority is actually passing all of their classes. The future for the city is going to be dependent on the type of education that the students in the school system right now are getting. And you're seeing people essentially voting with their feet. They're leaving. The population of Baltimore is going down fast. I think it's the fastest shrinking large city in America right now. And the education system is the same thing. We're seeing that in the past four years, I think they're down about 10,000 students in the public education system. And people who can, who have the means to, they're trying to find other ways to educate their kids. Despite the failure of the whole system in ways that are demonstrable, if I understand it correctly, the chief executive officer makes 350000 a year? Correct. Dr. Sonia Santelisis is the CEO of Baltimore City Schools. Last year, she made $350,000. She is the highest paid school superintendent in the state who oversees what is arguably the lowest performing school system in the state. Now, if we want to put that into perspective, $350,000 to run a school system with about 75,000 students. So you look at New York City, for example. The superintendent of New York City Public Schools has a million kids in that school system. A million. He makes about $370,000 a year living in New York City. Baltimore City has about 75,000 kids, a fraction of what New York City has. And our superintendent here makes $350,000 a year almost the exact same as the leader of a school system with a million kids in a much more expensive place to live. We talked a little bit about the frustration building in Baltimore City for a better education system, and that's part of it. Taxpayers in the city are saying, you know, we're paying our CEO $350,000 a year. Are we getting a return on that investment? We're now looking at the numbers of Project Baltimore is digging up and reporting and filing public records requests to get. You know, we're looking at where our kids are, and we're looking at a $340,000 salary for just this one position, just the CEO. And the taxpayers, I think, from what we're seeing, are really starting to question, are they getting their money's worth? I did a series of tweets about what's happening, and I got some pushback from the woman who is the education reporter at the Baltimore Sun, who said, my facts were wrong, this wasn't really accurate, Etc. Are there defenders of a system in which over half the students get less than a D average? There is certainly a certain status quo that has become sort of cultural in Baltimore City. I think that a lot of people that are listening to us right now, if they found out that 13 of their area high schools had zero kids proficient in math, they would probably think to themselves, we need to change that. We need to change it now. If they found out that 57% of their elementary and middle school students were 
failing at least one course or the 41% or the 0.13, everything that we're talking about. I think a lot of people listening to this wouldn't accept that. And they would say, this needs a change. This needs a change now. We are not putting our kids in a position where they're going to be able to thrive in the future with these type of educational outcomes. In Baltimore City, though, there hasn't been that. As I said, that the teachers' unions won't even talk about it. Uh, we've reached out to the mayor and the president of city council. They won't talk about it. They won't discuss these numbers with us. The school system will not discuss these numbers with us. They send us statements, but they haven't actually done an interview with us in three years. They haven't agreed to sit down to discuss anything that you and I are talking about right now in three years. It's hard for a lot of people to listen to that and think that how can these numbers be accepted and how can there not be outrage? But the reality is in Baltimore, at least among the leadership in the city, there's not outrage. And it may be that the sheer power of the teachers union makes it impossible to be outraged because the cost would be too great. I'll give you an example. So in January of this year, the CEO of the school system came out and warned that the educational outcomes are, are going to be dire when we find out what they are. She came out and she said that virtual learning is not working for a majority of our kids. Now we know the numbers, but back then we didn't. And she was just warning everybody, we got to get these kids back into school. This is where many of them learn better. Well, the teachers unions essentially said, no, we're not going back. And they didn't. And now we're seeing the results of it. And now they won't speak about it. So there was this recognition that this is going to be really bad. Like we need to get back into the schools. And the unions just said no. So if you're asking who has the power, I think that watching all of that play out and the CEO Again, the highest paid one that we just talked about in Maryland is saying, let's get back into the school system. And she did not get her way because the union said, we don't want to go back in. And the parents, by the way, wanted at least an option. Just give us the option of a hybrid model or something that we can choose instead of this one size fits all virtual learning. So the parents didn't get what they wanted. The superintendent didn't get what she wanted. The unions got what they wanted. So that might tell you who has most of the influence, at least in Baltimore City. Can you look forward to a positive future where at some point the parents and the voters and the non-union parts of the city come together, maybe with the governor, maybe with the federal government, and decide that teaching the students is the number one goal and that basically Funding the schools based on outcome and on performance is the only way to force the level of change we need and potentially to have genuine personal choice so that people can pick the school they think fits their child without it automatically having to be a teacher's union school. I mean, can you imagine in the next five or ten years getting to that kind of positive outcome? The law that was just passed earlier this year that we spoke about, the Kerwin Commission, that drastically increased the amount of funding that's going to be going into public schools, that was designed to do what you just said. It was designed to create better educational outcomes for students. 
most of that money is going to increased salaries, increased salaries for education employees. And the hope is that that will create a better system than what we have now. And there's other aspects of the Kerwin Commission and what Maryland passed. There are some accountability measures in there, increases in the type of requirements for teacher certificates. There's things along that nature. If you're asking, are there going to be any significant changes in the school system? I don't see that happening. For example, there are no elected officials in Baltimore City Public Schools. The school board is not elected. The school board is appointed. The superintendent, the CEO, is not elected. She's appointed by the school board. So within the school system that gets $1.4 billion a year, there is no one held accountable to the taxpayer. The taxpayer has no ability to fire or hire school board members or anybody in that school system, even though they get that much money every year. So how does a taxpayer or a parent in Baltimore City hold the school system accountable when they quite literally have no power over that school system? They have power over the mayor because the mayor's elected. They have power over city council members. They're elected, but not the school board. And in 2022, there will be two additional school board members going on Baltimore City School Board that will be elected. So they're going from, I believe, nine to 11, but those other nine are still going to be appointed. And as of right now, and as it has been for years, there's been no elected officials anywhere in the school system. And I think that a lot of people are frustrated with that as well because they don't have anybody to go to if they have an issue. Except, and and I'm not saying this to pat ourselves on the back, but the only people they can go to is the media. They go to the media, they come to Project Baltimore and Fox 45 and say, hey, can you tell my story? Can you bring this to light? Because I don't have anyone else to go to to try to affect positive change. I guess I'm a perennial optimist in that the American system seems to have some amazing rejuvenated capabilities. And the sheer numbers, the thing, exactly what you are reporting on, exactly what you are laying out. And I hope your second book will be on the Baltimore City Schools because it is a case study in a system which has been taken over by itself and serves itself and is happy to be a parasite on both the community, the students, the parents, and the taxpayers. And so there's a huge amount of learning, which you're currently doing, which every American should know about, because this is a actually normal, routine problem of human beings. Lord Acton once said that power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you get these kind of big systems, if they have absolute power, they serve themselves. They don't serve the students. They don't serve the parents. They don't serve the community. They serve themselves. So I think what you're doing is remarkably historic. I hope you will decide at some point to write a book on it. And it's kind of amazing what you're learning. And I want to thank you, Chris, for joining us and helping bring the country up to speed on what's happening in Baltimore City. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I appreciate you having me on. What we're talking about, I think that this is happening in other school systems around the country. It's just that Fox 45 has created this team, Project Baltimore, and this is all that we do. The only thing that we do is we look into education in the state of Maryland and the Baltimore region. In this city, there's kind of like those that really appreciate what we're doing, and there's those that think that 
we are essentially just beating up on the city. But everything that we've talked about here is real. These numbers are real. This is what is actually happening, and this is the state of Baltimore City Public Schools at a time when Baltimore is dealing with an unfortunate amount of murders and violence in this city. And the school system is the way out, is the way to improve this city, is the way to improve the country through a better public education system. And all that we're trying to do is just shed some light on what's going on, let the voters, let the taxpayers know what the state of their school system is and give them the information that they can have to try to better that school system for themselves and their kids and the future of the city. That's great. Well, we look forward to continuing to track your work and your investigations, and I commend you for a really remarkable job. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you to my guest, Chris Pabst. You can get a link to Sinclair's Fox 45 Project Baltimore Reporting on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.